we thank you, Lord, for thinking of us, uh, for giving us your word so that we may know who you are, uh, for letting us know that we're made in your likeness and we're in your image. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, for the plan that you have for us to redeem us back to you and you revealing yourself to us, Lord. So, Father, Lord, we just pray, Lord, uh, that the word that we hear today comes directly from you, Lord. I'm just a vessel, Lord, being used by you. So, Father, we ask that you just prepare our hearts, Lord, uh, to receive your word, Lord, to be doers of your word, Lord, and to go out and make disciples based upon your word, Lord. And we cannot do that except by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. We thank you, Lord. Uh, just for doing a mighty work and the work that you're going to continue to do in each and every one of our lives. We thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we are on part four of a series of living a godly life when the pressure is on. Living a godly life when the pressure is on. And if you've been on this earth for any amount of time, you know that in different circumstances and no matter what environment, there are times when the pressure is on, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, dealing with family, you name it. I believe in the book of Job, it says, man that is born of a woman, his days are few, and days are full of trouble. So the Lord understands that, yes, we have to deal with pressure. We live in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world. Even though we are in this world, we are not of this world, but we're still affected by the different pressures that life tends to bring upon us. And at work, and you think about your job responsibilities, many times the pressure is on to do a good job, to meet a deadline, or to perform a certain way. No matter what it is, there is some level of pressure. But just because the pressure is on, you're still expected to have success. And so we are expected to be able to function even when the pressure is on. And that goes with our walk with God. The Lord, yes, he knows that, yes, Many circumstances, many things. There is pressure. Pressure with raising your children, with marriages, with work, with just dealing with people. If you dealt with family, anytime, there's so many things that there is pressure. But once again, just because the pressure is on, we're still expected to succeed. And God wants us to continue to live a godly life even when the pressure is on. So we continue on in the book of 1 Peter. We're in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And if you don't have your Bibles, I still want you to put on your reading glasses. We'll have it on the screen. But I want all of us to read these few verses together. And then we're going to see what the Lord has for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 to 25. I want us to read this together. 
I'm going to take our time. We're going to read this and soak this in. All right, church family, let us begin. 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Thank you so much. So when we look at this scripture, we have to ask the question, what should happen in the life of a believer who has truly believed and responded to the gospel? What should happen in the life of a believer who has truly believed and they have responded to the gospel according to this passage? In this passage, Peter talks about the proper results of salvation. Verse 22, this is what it says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. When he says you have been purified by obeying the truth, he's talking about our salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter seems to be calling our faith obedience. Why is it considered obedience? Faith, obedience. Why? Because God has called us to believe in the Son as our Lord and Savior. He has called all people to believe. Yes, he has given out the general call for all people to believe. And so therefore, when we do believe, and since God has called for that, our faith is obedience. God calls all men to repent so they may be saved. And those who respond to that call are obedient. So this obedience to the gospel leads to purification. It says, having purified your souls, it leads to purification. So when we are saved, God washes our sins and he cleanses us with the blood of Christ. So Christ told the disciples, each one of them, we are clean because the word spoken to them in John 15 and 3. It's not only because they heard the word, but because they had obeyed it. They obeyed it and they were purified by Christ's blood. And you say, what does all got to do with pressure? We're going to get there. Well, in this passage, Peter says, now what? He says, since you've been purified by your souls and obedient by the truth, now what? What should be the results of our salvation? What should be the results? It doesn't matter what's going on. What should be the results of our salvation? Because the pressure is still on. But now that we've been purified, we're washed in the blood, what should be the results of our salvation? Some people get saved and tend to continue on their lives as the same they were, they, they were used to before accepting Christ. For them, salvation is kind of like a fire insurance policy. They're just doing it just as a, as, a, as a policy or just to make sure things. But they really didn't accept Christ. However, scripture would say that true salvation is not just a mental thing that's going on without the corresponding works. True faith always leads to works which essentially prove the validity of our faith. What are you talking about? 
James 2, 17 and 18 says this. James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, and I'm reading. He says this. So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So in today's passage, Peter shows us several works that should happen as the results of our salvation. He's going to show us several things or several fruits that should be evident once we become saved. So here's the big question. What should be the results of a believer's salvation according to our passage here? And then how should we apply these truths? Let's read verses 22 and 23 together one more time. 22 and just 23, just those two verses, one more time. Ready? Let's begin. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the faith, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry, let's start over, I'm sorry. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and embodying word of God. Peter says that as a result of our salvation, love should be the result. If a person who claims to be a Christian does not love the believers, he is not truly saved. Oh, Pastor Scott, why would you say that? Look at what John says about this. 1 John 3, 14 and 15. 1 John 3, 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John says that anyone who does not love the brother, and when we say the brother, we're talking about the sisters too. So the brethren is the body of Christ. And whenever you see the brethren, he's talking about the body of Christ, the brothers and the sisters. So he says that anyone who does not love the brethren or the sister has not passed from death to life. They are not truly born again, and there is no life in him. Christ said the same thing, but in reference to knowing that who we are and who do we belong to. He says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, everyone say if. If you have love for one another. That's what Jesus said in John 13 and 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, everyone say if. If you have love for one another. So Jesus says that people will know that, you, that we belong to him by the way that we treat each other, through the love that we have for each other. Pharisees came to Jesus and says, you know, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus told them, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love. 
So what should be the believer's response to salvation? The answer is love for the church. God has called each and every one to love the church and to honor him by that. Since in Peter, uh, 1 Peter 1.23, it is meant to show us the reason we love. That's what he says. He says, since. That's meant to show us that's the reason why we love. We love because we have been born again. He saved us for this purpose. And it should identify us to the world and give assurance to our spirits that we are saved. So yes, we are supposed to love each other. Many times we have to work together. And yes, the Lord understands that sometimes that we have what they call personality conflicts, right? Some people just, for some odd reason, don't get along with this person, or this person don't get along with this person, or this person say, I can't work with this person. I can't get along with this person. I have been a part of some ministries where I've actually heard some saints say, I can't stand brother so-and-so, or I can't stand sister so-and-so. Why? I don't know. We just don't mesh together. I believe that God is not happy with that. It says we're supposed to have love for one another. That's how we know that we would love for one another. So here's the next question. In what way should we love one another? Because you know, somebody, you know, somebody say, I love you. Did you just I love you? There really is no live there. So what do we mean by in what way should we love one another? How should believers love? So since we're supposed to love each other, okay, scripture, okay, God, tell me, how am I supposed to love brother so-and-so? How am I supposed to love sister so-and-so? Because the pressure is on because we really don't get along. How do we do this? How, what type of love should we have? Number one, believers should love like a family. Believers should love like a family. How do we know this? Because he uses a word here, brotherly love, called phileo. And that's like a brotherly love. It is the type of love that you give to a family member. So when I tell you, Sister Deborah, I love you, I'm saying that as my sister, my physical sister here on earth. And we're supposed to say that sincerely. We're going to get to that. So the type of love that we should have is, the love like a family member. That's why many times they say, let us read scripture together as a what? Family. As we, we get it. So the word here is phileo. It's this brotherly love. It's the type of love that you would give to your own family member. In fact, Paul taught Timothy this is how the church should function. He says the church should function like a family. Listen to this, folks. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Say, you guys are supposed to function like a family. This is what he taught Timothy this. He says this. He says, do not rebu rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Did you guys get that? This is how God wants us to treat each other. Like a family said, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Not as a buddy, as a friend, as a father. And younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters 
in all purity. Notice we're supposed to treat all each other as family members. Everyone say family members. So believers should love each other like a family. And I know that sometimes that's hard to do. That sometimes that is very hard to do. But when we're born again, we become a new creature. And because of this new birth that we have within us, God gives us the ability to be able to do this. Number two, believers should love one another with sincere, sincerity. That means without hypocrisy. You know how you can come up to someone and you say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? It's like, uh. You're not really concerned about how they're doing. You're not really concerned about, hey, I'm happy to see you. And you, 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 you despise to see them coming around the corner. Believers, we should love each other sincerely. That means without hypocrisy. Listen to this. The English word sincere, it comes from a, from a Latin word called sin, Sarah. S-I-N-C-E-R-A, sincera. And it means this, without wax. Huh? Without wax, yes. So in ancient times, when people would sell clay pots and they had small cracks in them, they would often put wax on them to, to try to cover up the cracks that was uh, in, the, in the pottery. So in order for them to, uh, to, to appear brand new like they just made them, so they put wax on them. So the only way a person can tell if they didn't have wax was by putting the pot in the sky like a light and allowing the sunlight to shine through it. So by doing this, you can tell if it was sincere, without wax. So sincere in this text means to be honest, without ulterior motives. Without ulterior motives. So that means that we should be loving each other sincerely, not because what Brother Joseph can do for me, or not what I can do for sister so-and-so. It should be because of sincere love and without hypocrisy. So in the church, our love must be honest and without hypocrisy. He probably is reiterating this at the end of verse 22 when he says, from a heart. From a heart. That means we love each other from a heart and not just with our mouth, a said type of love. Much love in the church is from the heart. It should not be hypocritical. It should not be what they call two-faced. We shouldn't bless the pastor and members at church, but talk bad about them when we get at home or somewhere else. Also, sincere love is never given with ulterior motives in order to receive something from others. This would define what most of the world's um, love is. They do it because they're expecting something in return. It's what we call a quid quo pro. I do this for you, do this for me, and because we're doing this, I love you. No, it's not that type of love. The world gives love with the purpose of receiving instead of loving just simply to love. Just simply to love. Simply to give. When people have served their purposes or no longer can benefit them, guess what they do? They move on. It's not sincere. However, us as believers, we are, our love should be sincere and without wax. It shouldn't be something that is covered up. Number three. Believers should love like God. Oh, yes. Believers should love like God. The second love in verse 22 is this Greek word called agape. It means to love like God, unconditionally and sacrificially. Unconditionally and sacrificially. And that is a challenge 
for many times, just to love someone unconditionally and sacrificially. God loved us while yet we were still his enemies. That's what scripture says. He says, God loved us while we were still his enemies in Romans 5 and 10. So he loved us while we were still in rebellion. That's sacrificial love. That's unconditionally. You know, I have to admit, that is a hard thing to do, to love someone knowing that they are in rebellion with you, knowing that they are in conflict with you. That is a hard thing to do. But because we are a new creature and we have been born again, not of man, but because of an incorruptible seed, God gives us the ability to do that. And I know sometimes that could be pressure itself. But God calls us to live a godly life, even though the pressure is on. So yes, God knows that many times that is difficult to do. And that's pressure, but guess what? We're still called to live a godly life, even though that pressure is on. To love someone like God loves us. Within rebellion, when you really think about that, he loved us while yet we were still his enemy. We're still called to do it. So this love forgives our sins and it separates them as far as the east and the west. That's the type of love that God has for us. Jesus says this. He says, I give you a new command to love one another like I have loved you. John 15 and 12. He says, that's a command. He says, I give you a new command. He says, to love one another like I have have loved you, this agape love, this unconditional love. I'm loving you because I love you, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you with my flaws, and I love you with your flaws. We're all crackpots together, so we, just, we might as well just love each other and just ask God to give us grace in each one of our lives. So to agape, someone means to, to be willing to almost die for them. It is a sacrificial love to go beyond normal means for your brother or sisters. So remember what the early church that, uh, that they did in the book of Acts? They sold all that they had in order to give to the poor in the church. It was a sacrificial, willing type of love that they did. Our salvation should result in not only family love and sincere love, but what they call agape love. So here's the question. Why does Peter talk about the word of God as an imperishable seed after commanding believers to love in the previous verses? Why would he say, why does he bring this imperishable seed up? How is it possible to love that way? It's possible to love that way because we are born again. It says not of perishable seed. So we're not born, this, this new birth is not from man. This new birth is from the imperishable seed. And that is God. Since all flesh, I'm sorry, it says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So this new birth is not, is, is not from man. It's not from man's seed. Why? Because it goes on to explain to us. This is why. All flesh 
is like grass. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and guess what? And the flower falls. It's perishable. It's going to fade away. It's going to go away. But the word of the Lord remains forever. So that type of love that we have, it comes from him who is eternal. And that comes from the abiding word of God. Jesus said in John 3, he says, No one can be born again except by water and the spirit of God. Scripture is often pictured as water. Paul said the husbands should wash their wives with the water of the word of God. The word and the spirit, they come together in someone's life as they hear the gospel and they are changed. We are changed. They are made or we are made new by the power of the spirit. So this is how we're able to do this because we're reborn again. And this new birth is not from man because all flesh, man, is perishable. It's going to fade away. Think of the greatest kings or the greatest queens or the greatest people that you can think of. But guess what? They fade away. They eventually go away. But the seed that we have on the inside of us is imperishable. And we're kept by the power of God. So to be able to love as Christians seems like it's a, it's a, being a great pressure to love the type of way that God wants us to do. We're commanded to do something that comes only by the power of God. Man's flesh and his glory is fading away. So the glory of man is like the cherry blossoms, right? It's here today, gone tomorrow. But the glory, the power of the word of God is eternal. I want to read something to you. It's from the New English translations. I thought this was interesting the way they worded it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, which is found in Romans 5 and 5. So yes, we are a new creation in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who has given us the power to love as God does. I know some of us saying, I don't know if I can love the way God wants us to. Yes, we can. If you are a believer in Christ, yes, we can. Why? Because we are a new creation. Look at what scripture says about the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22. It says this, and very familiar pieces of passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So with the believer, it is a tremendous capacity to love the way God wants us to love each other. So this new birth is not temporary that we have, but it's everlasting. Peter describes this new birth as coming from this imperishable seed in contrast to the perishable seed of a, from a human birth. And that imperishable seed is the word of God. This new birth is marked by purity of soul and obedience to the truth. So yes, we are to have sincere brotherly 
love for each other. Doesn't matter what the situation is. Uh, so people say, I can't love like that. I've actually heard someone, I can't love that type of way. Yes, you can. If you are a new creation through Christ. I want to conclude by, make, by asking two important questions. Two important questions. First, have you truly been born again? Not just the American cliche where it says, you know, hey, I've been born again. You know, people just say, I've been born again. I'm new. I've, I've done a 180. I'm not talking about that. Not just a, a worldly type of change. How can we know for sure? There are several tests that are given in the Bible. But the test that comes from our text today is do we love each other? And not just each other. Love for our neighbors, that's hard to do also. To love someone, to, to, to have a conversation with someone, and they say, I do not serve the God that you serve. I don't believe in all that Jesus crap. Yes, I have heard, come in contact with people that say, all that stuff, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't even want to hear that stuff. You might as well go on the other way. But we're supposed to have compassion and love towards them. I know that's hard to do. Someone that you know that they hate you because of who you serve. A boss, supervisor, somebody that's of influence over you. Sometimes that can be hard to do. But we can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are a new creation. This new birth that we have, this new birth doesn't come from man but it comes from the abiding word of God. Second, are we working at loving as we should? Are we working at it as we should? That may sound like a contradiction since our culture says that you either love, you have love or you don't, or there's not much you can do about it. But God's word said that if we have been born again, we must work at having a sincere love, a clean love, a fervent love, a sincere love, especially toward other Christians. You may need to begin at home or with an extended family member. It may be someone right here at this church. But if you receive the new birth, you've got to work on this new love. Christians must love because they have been born again through God's imperishable word of truth. Why are we talking about this? Why is it important? I believe God thought that this was important because he put it in scripture. And sometimes we, everyone say we, sometimes we have to be reminded of these things. If it's in scripture, God saw it important enough for us to study to do these things. This may seem like, you know, that would be a natural thing to do. But sometimes if we're honest and we do a sober uh, uh, assessment of ourselves, we may be like saying, you know what, I say that I, I, I love the brothers and sisters of Christ, but I got a problem with sister so-and-so. I got a problem with brother so-and-so. I don't like him very much. If that's something that we're battling today, I submit to you, and you are a believer in Christ, I ask that you just ask God, first of all, to forgive you, to forgive us if we've ever kind of harbored those type of thoughts or feelings. And ask, Lord, to just to do a work in our life so that this love that we're supposed to have is made manifest 
throughout the body of Christ. And not just in the body of Christ, but in, to our neighbor, at work, at school, in public, wherever you may be. People are supposed to look at you, you, and you, and they see the way that we treat each other, and they can say, hey, the way they love each other, those are Christians. They belong to Christ. That's how they're going to know that you belong to Jesus Christ. And I know that the pressures of the world sometimes make it difficult to do that, but we're called to live a godly life even when the pressure is on. I personally don't believe that that is a major issue right here at the Church of Chicago, but I believe that all scripture is profitable. Some of us have to be reminded of these things, brought back to the forefront of my mind, and cause us to say, hey, am I loving the way God truly wants me to love? Do I really have love for the body of Christ? And if I do, am I acting so? Is it being made manifest? Is my faith being manifested by the works that I'm doing? Am I serving and honoring God by loving the church? The church is the bride of Christ. How can you not love the bride of Christ? So I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, even when the pressure is on, ask the Lord to help you to love the way that he wants us to love. And it's just not a set love, not just to say, oh, I love you, I love you. No, a sincere, pure family love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just love for the church, but love for people. The Ten Commandments is about two things, love for him and love for people. If we do those things, all the commandments uh, will befall 